This podcast is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. A big thank you goes out to Adnan Isel, owner of Isellers Estate Winery. You can visit them at 615 Concession 5 Road in Niagara-on-the-Lake or check out their website at icellers.ca. Find out how you can support us like Adnan by visiting patreon.com slash twoguystalkingwine. You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Good morning, Michael, again. Oh, Andre, how are you? I'm just making my list here. Okay. Of, of uh, uh, wines. I was. Yeah, we're having a bit of reflection. It's it's kind of sad to say that the holiday season is now well officially over. It is. Uh, and uh, I, we, we were sitting here and going, oh, it was your favorite wine that you had over the holidays. Yes. And while you were... Um, actually creating a list i uh i was i don't know what i was doing well i mean the thing is uh i've I've sort of taken a bit of a holiday from social media which has been nice but i haven't taken as many photos of uh things as i should have but the good news is when i drink a really good bottle of wine i make sure to snap a photo yes i do that as well so i was i was actually just making i had to make my list because you were making yours while i was answering email so that was kind of you know I didn't realize what you were doing. I thought that's what you were doing anyways. No, I was just looking at pictures, and then uh, and then I had the idea of why don't we talk about our favorite wines that we had over the holidays, and one thing led to another, and I didn't realize you... I thought you were just doing your usual, ignore me. I didn't realize you were actually... <laughs> working? Uh, working and coming up with something. So um, I, I was... I was negligent in that process and now i am i now i have you have a list okay. i now have a, have a list of the the best wines that i i tasted over the over the holidays cool uh, up to and including um uh, florida where i was for a week so well you know maybe we should kick this off with saying i, I guess you know it's literally the middle of january yep. but if we can include it in the holiday you were kind enough to open a 2009 Ridge Monte Montebello last night. That's the last wine on my list. Here, I was. I had just. I had just finished adding that because I was going to spring that at the end and go, "Hey," because we had that one together. We and didn't share a lot you, of bottles. And thank you very much for for sharing that. It was quite young still, but I mean, it was a good bottle of wine and always good to, as I, I think we've said before, it's always good to catch a wine earlier. Than, yes, because I I had actually one of the wines on my list are one that I held a little too long, but in my opinion, because I know there's some people who would have held it longer. You know, the great thing about the Montebello and it being 11 years old when we opened that bottle was that it did open up very quickly in the glass, like literally in 15 minutes where it went from being, oh, this is a little bit savory and tight to boom, like literally like a firework in the glass. It was was a gorgeous bottle. Again, glad we opened it when we did. Um, Totally. And it's surprising how many 09s I I opened over the holidays. Like, I opened a lot of 09. Well, I guess 10 years is just the sweet spot for for where you like like your wines. Uh, And and just a comment about the Ridge, too, is as spectacular as that wine was, and as grateful as I am that you shared it, uh, I'm still still leaning towards uh, better value is the Estate Cab Sauve. Which is sort oh, of for their, ridge. their yes. second their second yeah. wine. Which if you go to the winery, you can get for about fifty dollars American at the LCBO. It's about a hundred dollars a bottle, which is still a lot of money. But the Montebello, the current vintage that's for sale at the LCBO, is three hundred and ninety nine. Wow. A so, couple of years ago, it was one hundred and eighty. So what uh, what did you drink over the holidays? As in, did you drink a, a, a style of wine more than anything? Did you, or were you kind of all over the map? Um, 
Well, if you had to guess what I drank over the holidays, a lot of, what would you guess? I would have guessed Chardonnay. I did not drink Chardonnay. See, I'm shocked, uh, but sparkling would have been the next next big thing. Cause well, I... apart from the, the Boulanger that I opened at New Year's, which we talked about in a previous podcast, uh, I did not drink a lot of bubbles over the holidays. I drank a ton of bubbles. Going through the pictures, I, like it's like every... Every time we opened something, there was at least one or two bubbles, and it kind of started with the middle of December when our kitchen got finished, and we opened a Louis Roederer, and it just kind of continued in because we were just so happy to have a house back after two months, totally. Of you know nuking foods and and doing casseroles. We did we did a lot of prep work for it, knowing that we were going to uh, you know be without a kitchen, so we had you know we had the nuker in the den, we had the. Uh, the nuker? I, is, are you saying microwave. trying to find? Is that what old people call microwave? Yeah, the nuker. Yeah, you nuke it up. Um, we had the toaster oven in the in the den, and we we you know we ordered. We tried not to order too much out. You know, once a week we'd we'd order something in, but we tried mostly. And and thanks to all the people who uh, who had us over for a meal. So you know that was you had me over. Uh, yes. You didn't have Erica over, but that's that's <laughs> fine. Uh, she doesn't hold that against you, from what I understand. Um, uh, but, you know, all the people who, who had us over for a meal, thank you very much for that. Okay, so do you have like a top three sparkling that you did? I know you, you, you've you mentioned the Rotorer, and that's usually out of your budget. That's what, not what you usually spend money on, but how was it? Uh, it was really good, and it was older. Like, I had had it sitting in the cellar for a while, so, um, it, I mean, it really showed well. It had to probably be five to seven years old, so it was was a nice bottle of bubbles. Uh, just to, uh, like, kind of the bubbling under wines that I, that I had, not no pun intended, um, we we did open uh, a Rose Hall Run ceremony. Man, that's mm. a good bottle of uh, of sparkling. Um, yeah, I don't think I think just in general we don't talk about Rose Hall Run enough. We still we tried last year to get Dan on the podcast, and then we will. We'll I we it was my fault that we ended up not connecting because I had to go watch the Raptors play in the playoffs, which I'm glad I did. But, but. Uh, we've got to get Dan on the podcast. Um, uh, definitely one of the most creative winemakers in Niagara. Did um, uh, he is? You mean Prince Edward County? Oh, sorry, in, in the wine industry, in the no, Ontario no, wine no, industry. Misspoke there. I didn't know if Dan had moved to Niagara. No, 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 I no. That no. While yeah, I yeah, was no. away. Uh, I opened up uh, uh, some uh, a Redstone Rosé and a Louis Boyot Rosé. Um, big into Rosé. Oh, and the Connoisseur Rosé. Opened up a lot of Rosé over the holidays too. I was kind of surprised. Uh, sparkling Rosé. Sparkling Rosé. Okay, so yeah. we're still talking about the bubbles. Yeah. Uh, well, you asked the bubbles that I had. Uh, yeah, so those were some of the Ontario, and then a French obviously snuck its way in there. But uh, but I do have I do have some on my on my list. Oh, we opened uh, Hinterland as well. So. The, yeah, we opened a 2014 Les Etoiles last night, which had opened up fantastically. So it turns out I opened one also on January first. So uh, yeah, yeah, you're just rolling in the Hinterland. Yeah, it seems to to be the. Uh, you know. So but, uh, but uh, yeah, we had we had bubbles, two bubbles on New Year's Eve and two bubbles on um, on New Year's Day. Well, there you go. You always got to start. With the day. You got to start the day off with bubbles. Like I think you, it should be a, a a rule, but I don't. I'm okay with that rule. Yeah. Or Chardonnay. So, uh, so your top five wines that you do you have a top five? I'm assuming. Uh, top three, top okay, five. so I mentioned do? the the Boulanger. Yeah, I think I could go through five without okay. getting too excessive. All right, so we'll go. We'll we'll. Because you we'll, talked about you opened a lot of O nines. I opened a lot of O nine. I was looking I opened, at my list and I opened twenty tens. Okay. So, um, and, so and and we were talking about bottles that. Uh, we may have held on a little bit too long. I opened a 2010 Osoyuz La Rose. And uh, that wine had aged more rapidly than I thought. Oh, geez, I may have one of those. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it'll still be up your alley. Like, it's still 
it's just kind of tipped over where I like the wines. Okay. Um, I know we've talked about old wines on the podcast quite a bit. Is it's just I love that moment when the tannin has softened, and the fruit is still fresh and vibrant. The fruit on the Asalius La Rose is starting to get a little bit dusty. Uh, it's moving happily into its secondary flavors life. So if you've got uh, 2010 Osoyuz La Rose kicking around and it's not in a proper temperature controlled cellar, like that's the full disclosure, mine's kept in a room that's fairly consistent temperature wise, but it's just on a wine rack. Uh, it's it's It aged, I was a little disappointed with it, but my wife loved it. Anya I, loved it. I have, an, I have a nine. I have an 09 of the Osoyuz La Rose. So uh, if anybody from Osoyuz La Rose or uh, it drinks a lot of Osoyuz La Rose is listening, let me know how the 09 is, or else I will oh, I'm just sure open it myself. Yeah, I'm sure it's dusty, like the the 10. But I mean, it's it's just a well, testament. If it's, if it's, it's a cooler testament. vintage, it'll be different. If it, if 10 was a hot vintage, and we don't know. We don't know a lot. I know a lot about Ontario vintages. I just yes, don't know, I know about the BC vintages. So if it well, was a hot saying, vintage, maybe it would maybe it would age uh, prematurely age versus something that was a cooler vintage, which would age a little bit slower. A Soyuz La Rose always tastes like the vintage is a little cooler than what you get in BC. Like that wine is made with very cool climate winemaking uh, goals. No, I if, if we're I, saying that because when you talk about some of the other heavy hitters around there, places like Burrowing Owl and Black Hills, which are all a stone's throw away from a Soyuz La Rose. Uh, and granted, on the other side of the the valley, um, it's a lot, it's a lot more heat on our, those wines. Our, our our friend and former colleague uh, Alan McGinty uh, is a big Osoyoos La Rose collector. Maybe we should uh, reach out to him, find yeah. out what, uh, what what he can tell us. About um, I also opened a 2010 Lely Cabernet Franc unfiltered in a Magnum. I don't have the Magnum. I have the bottle, but I don't have the Magnum. How was that? Flawless. Really? Right, Absolutely. Good. good. It it was right. If I'd held it for another year, I probably would have been how I felt about the Osoyuz La Rose, uh, but the fruit was still vibrant. Everything was perfectly ripe about it, and you know, it just made me, once again, a little bit sad at what has gone on at Lely over the past few years. Yes, I, anytime I open a bottle of Lely, it's kind of a lamenting, you know, thought of what 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 transpired there. That and that that being said, if you go to AndreWineReview.ca, uh, look up Meldville. Uh, the most yeah. recent set of reviews that I've done, uh, he's made a barrel select Pinot Noir that awesome. is, uh, it's it's starting to approach that lot 48 that he used, yeah. that Derek used to make at Lely, which uh, I think was the first Pinot that made me really go wow to Ontario Pinot. I, I think his 18 Chardonnay is going to come out of the market shortly too. Ooh, oh, yeah, that's exciting. Really good. So. I've, I got a I got a sneak peek of that, so that was really tasty. So those are sort of the big Canadian reds that uh, that I got into over the holidays. All right, so that's two of yours. Yeah. Okay, so I'll uh, I I went international. I didn't do a lot of uh, uh, of Ontario. I drank Ontario, uh, but I didn't. Uh, they don't. They didn't make my list. Um, uh, I had an O'Shaughnessy Howell Mountain 2009 Cabernet Sauvignon. Okay. That uh, was you know. What you would expect from a Howell Mountain Napa Valley cab uh, at 10 years old. It was just still rich, still unctuous, still uh, just just one of those wines that you could have drank the whole bottle uh, yourself, although I shared it. Um, but, you know, 15%. That's almost, it. Yeah, there's lots of alcohol, 145 to 15%. It was a, it was a tough slog, uh, you know. When you stand up yeah, after, after like, especially when we're used to drinking, like I, I imagine the... The 2010 Lely Cab Franc was probably just touching 14, if that. 
And uh, the on the same night, I opened a, a Duckhorn 2007 Merlot, which was just slightly over the hill. And really, and you, you know, huh? That that's that seems premature. Just just slightly 2007. Yeah, just slightly, just just. But then then again, how about this? Um, we opened it after the cab, and maybe just the cab was so big, so rich. Sometimes it does matter in the order that you're drinking the wine. Totally. And, but I mean, it's, and it's, it's, after it's, the cab, and then you go, oh, you know what? Let's open this Merlot. And then it just seemed not well, to have it. Well, I think we touched a bit uh, about it when we did the, the food and wine pairing uh, podcast in late 2019. Is just like there's so many factors that go into what makes your wine taste the way it tastes, yeah. right down to even how you're feeling that day. Correct, and uh, whether, whether the temperature was, is outside, whether I was the drunk wine. from the O'Shaughnessy that yeah. uh, I didn't taste the. The other uh, uh, one I had was uh, uh, by a company called Fontati, which is out of Italy, uh, 2009 uh, Flaccianello. I think I mentioned that in a previous. Flaccianello. Flaccianello. F L F L A C C I A N. E-L-L-O. Did it make you fart? It did not flatulenello that way. Okay. But, oh, it was really good. Uh, that one you would have hated because it definitely had that dusty old fruit <laughs> uh, and some pretty rugged tannins. It, uh, it took about an hour to open. Okay. Uh, but it was always still dusty and tannic. Okay. Even even after it opened, it still had that. And then and then another another favorite of mine was uh, Valdivieso. 2010 single vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon from Chile. So you drank a lot of Cab Sauv over the holidays. I seem to have. I, I'm looking at those were my favorite wines that that I really liked. Was was there was a lot of cabs and there were a lot of international wines that get open that are really fun. So guess what grape I am drinking a lot of these days? Zinfandel. No. Uh, Merlot. No. Uh, Gamay. No. All right. There's my three guesses. Uh, Pinot Noir. Oh, you're on a Pinot kick. I'm on a Pinot kick, and uh, I think. Like as we said in our end of the year podcast, I had my epiphany in Burgundy. And I think part of it is being spurred by Thomas Pachelder. So uh, another shout out to Thomas. Uh, Thomas said in the summer before I went to Burgundy that he wants to sit down and do a podcast with us to talk about Burgundy. So that is going to happen yeah. at some point this year. Uh, but I am just I am on a mission to learn more about Burgundy. So this this thing about um, uh, Thomas being on and talking Burgundy, this is going to be like a three or four parter, like we do. With yeah, this. it'll it'll be it'll be something like that. Um, but I'm really um, and, and it's it's expensive. I mean, that's that is the problem with Pinot Noir is it is just it is expensive to get the good stuff and and even the not so good stuff. Um, so right now, with my wife's blessing, I am ordering. A single bottle of Burgundy from the Classics catalog every month. You're afraid of your wife too. What I mean, it's it's. But, but I mean, that's that's the problem with with that's the problem with buying wines like this. Um, so I've I've set my price range at about sixty dollars, which, when you're looking at the Classics ca- catalog, doesn't feel like a lot just because of the cost of buying Burgundy. Uh, but I mean, sixty dollars is a lot for a bottle of wine, especially a bottle of wine that you're buying to just drink. Oh, and and on a flyer, it's not like you've you've tasted it and gone, man, that's fantastic. yeah. We're, we're, t- we're taking, taking we're taking I'm we're, taking we're literally playing it. Russian roulette with our pocketbook yeah. right now, and um, you know, I uh, I picked up a Bouchard Père et Fille or pardon, Père et Fils Santenay, two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. It was thirty eight dollars. Man, did that wine suck? Okay, 
And it was just like, you know, having a moment where it's just like, you know, I risked $38 on this. And this is entry, entry level burgundy. And it was not good. Okay. Now, that being said, uh, I bought a domain au pied du Mont Chauve, Le Charmois Premier Cru 2015. It's a Saint Aubin. Yeah. Uh, the label was great and it was $62. Oh, man. This was transcendent. Like the the concentration and the layer after layer of of cherry mingling with with violet notes and just you know it felt like it really felt like walking through a vineyard. How fresh the so you really are a, a real Pinot kick. You asked me well, you were here last night, and I, I opened up a New Zealand Pinot, and, and that was fantastic as well. It was a nine year old bottle of uh, of a, a Akura. Akarua, Akarua. Yeah, and how much did you pay for that when it came out? Another twenty bucks. Another twenty bucks. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean today too. I'm heading to the LCBO to pick up some Brella Pinot Noir 2014. I'm assuming by the time this podcast is out, it'll be long sold out. But it's an Oregon Pinot that's sixteen dollars ninety five cents, and that's just nuts a steal. For Oregon, you don't see well, Oregon. And it's, and it's from Nicholas Pierce as well. He's got pretty good taste in well, in Oregon Pinot. You, know, you don't usually see uh, Oregon Pinot at uh, sixteen bucks a bottle. Seventeen, I guess. I don't think we ever have. I don't. I think I think A to Z comes in at like twenty one bucks. Yeah. Or sorry, A to Z. And the last last one I really was uh, was a big fan of was the the Irath that came through the Resplendent. Yes, Irath is always good. And yeah. I think that's a just a general that was, list. That was, was a general list. No, not that one. But the Resplendent oh, the came one, through okay. uh, through uh, through vintages, and it was it was thirty bucks a bottle. So uh, that was a really good one. And let's see so. the other Pinots that I had: a Jaffelin, Les Vergeles, Savigny, Les Bones, Premier Cru. 2015. Now you're just showing off on the French thing. That one was $68 a bottle, but it was it was another moment where it's just like you pop that cork, you pour it into the glass, and it was the polar opposite of the Saint Aubin, like where the Saint Aubin was like fruity and light and just elegant. This was it. You you don't like fruitcake, right? No, I'm not a fruitcake. It man. smelled like fruitcake, Ooh. like just the amount of spice in it. Uh, I like spice. I just don't like fruitcake. It smelled like fruitcake spice, like that clove allspice. Not many. Those, those like are it. those are okay to be in wine. They shouldn't be in fruitcake because fruitcake should not. <laughs> fruitcake should just not be made. That's so you know. At some point this year, Michael, we're going to get into because I'm ordering one bottle a month, and I'm sure some will be mediocre. But you will get to be witness to the Russian roulette of learning about Burgundy, and hopefully Thomas will explain what all this means. So uh, and so that's your end of your list of fabulous uh, wines. Actually, or? the last one I wanted to throw out, I was pleasantly surprised, was a 2011 Exalted the Blessed. And I should say pleasantly surprised because my purchases from Exalted um, that's, are that's always the Chardonnay. Yeah. And okay. The, All right. Yes. Okay. And the Blessed was the Pinot. And I don't think enough love goes to Exalted for their Pinot. That's, that's the one he really loves. It's the Beloved, which is uh, which is the Chardonnay. I, yes. I hate to say this, but I tasted, um, I tasted two of them uh, very recently. Uh, the Beloveds, yeah, and uh, both of them were uh, Ontario Wine Award winners. You know, the yep. time when he won three in a row. Yeah. So uh, one of them was absolutely just horrific, and uh, the other one was very good. Um, but it was the younger that was that was the better than the. So well, Char- Chardonnay is in all seriousness, and and no making fun of me for the love of Chardonnay, but like Chardonnay is a tricky wine to know which bottles to hold because Chardonnay is great in its youth. But we opened up a 2016 Rusty Shed last night. And, and 
it wasn't horrific. It sounds like we got drunk last night. But it was. But well, I don't remember last night, so that was okay. <laughs> but it, it was it was a little bit disappointing. Like if you have tw- some 2016 rusty shed, the acids have already started to fall off. Uh, Hot year. It's, Hot it's year. a lot of tropical on it, but it's just like. Compared to the 2017, which was a little bit mm. more typical summer with the the hot harvest, yeah. uh, the acids are much better from 2017. I imagine 2017 is going to age better than the 2016. Probably, yeah. But it was a little bit disappointing. It was underwhelming. It was, it was still tasty. Though. Yes, 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 yes. I, like by no means are we saying this was a bad wine, but it's just. But a, drink now. Yes, like definitely drink, drink now. Drink now within the next two or three years. Don't don't hold on to that one. No, I don't even wait two three years. Drink it by the end of twenty twenty. So then my uh, I, when I was in Florida, I had I got a chance to taste uh, a lot of bubbles because uh, that's what we that's what uh, my wife and I could agree on. Um, we weren't just going to go buy a bunch of Chardonnay and 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 we weren't going to go buy a bunch of red because. You know, we wouldn't. But you should have just bought a bunch of Chardonnay. But we did. We did buy a bunch of sparkling and two of the the really good ones. There was something called Piper Sonoma. Okay. Um, I did some research on them and I could find. I thought, okay, well, it's got to be part of the Piper family. It's got to be. And I guess it had. There's, there's a very loose connection to the Piper family. Okay. But I could not find much uh, much about it. There's a, the guy started it has a very loose connection to the Piper family. As far as I could figure, isn't isn't that frustrating? Like it's uh, it's also when like when we're writing our Toronto Life column, and I'm trying to get a bit of backstory on either an Italian winery or a French winery, and you Google it, and it's just like there's very often even wineries that are able and, and have agents who sell to the LCBO, they just don't exist online. And I and I and I went onto their website, which took like quite a bit of time to 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 find their website. Like, <laughs> like it's just, it's one of those things where you're like. You know, I should be able to find their website like that. That should that's how it. I I think it should be. But so I'm on there now, and it says Piper Sonoma has been making delightfully elegant sparkling wines in Sonoma County for nearly 40 years. It tells me very little about them. So I I'm like I really would like to find out how they get the name uh, Piper. So uh, if anybody knows, or if uh, Piper Sonoma is actually listening. Um, because they'll be tagged, obviously. So yeah, I'm still okay. So for nearly 40 years, blah blah blah, and I'm still trying to find out where the, uh, in the spirit of bringing sparkling wine, blah blah blah. Okay, so here we have a little history. Founded in 1980 by Marquise Dolan, whose family has been linked for generations with champagne and premium wine, but it doesn't say whether he was part. It was okay. Here's the bottom line. I I, I could care less about yeah. the history and you reading the website literally on the podcast. Was the wine good? It was good. I was okay. very happy. With it. it was just a. It was just a straight on brute. Because and, because I find drinking sparkling wine from California is truly like the Russian roulette of wine. But there's uh, the more than was, one bullet there. The acidity was good. It was better than some of the crazy French stuff that that. I had tried. Okay. I was trying to stay under twenty dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's getting, tough. Well, I guess it's easier in the states than here. It is. So the Piper Sonoma was was sixteen bucks, uh, and I thought, you know, good bottle. Very happy with that one. I had, we had tried some Depreville, which was mediocre, sparkling at best. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other one that I picked up, and it was eleven dollars, and we we flew this time, and had had we driven, I would have bought a case of this because it was again eleven dollars. But do you remember when we had Kune on the on the podcast? Yep, uh, I had no idea that they you made mean a Kuhn? Kuhn, Kuhn? Kuhn is what she kept saying. C B N E, but C U N E. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah. So we had them on, uh, her on the podcast, and and I know we tasted their red wines, and they were great. And I I 
don't think we even asked her if she made sparkling. Well, why would we? We would assume that a Spanish winery would focus on the red wines. But they make a cava, and it was just called Cava Brut, and $11, I would have brought a case home. It was so damn tasty. Cool. That's the find. And even uh, even <laughs> Andrew Von Tischman uh, got in touch. He goes, where did you find this rare wine? I go, in a mass market wine shop in, in Florida, ABC Wines or whatever. I was just shocked. And he was did like, you go to Total Wine? I went to Total Wines. I was very disappointed at the Total Wines that, that we went to in Orlando. Um, uh, we ended up at an ABC Wines a few days later, and I was totally thrilled with the ABC Wines. So Total Wines let me down for the first time in, in I guess, you know, five years. Well, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we can wrap, wrap this up. I guess that's it. We've talked enough wine, I guess, too. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll be drinking some more exciting things. And talking about them. We've got another edition of uh, Thumbs Up that we're working on. Yeah. I, I don't know what order this podcast is going to out, so it may already be out. but sure, could be. But, uh, yeah, we're going to do uh, another thumbs up, so it'll be the February The February edition, edition yep. Because January, we just we just didn't get together. We just This is our first seeing each other since mid-December. Yes. Right? You're still ugly. Yeah, and that hair. I don't know what's <laughs> going on with that, you and the growing of the hair. The man bun will come back. I know no, it, it won't. You keep saying it, it won't. It won't. But, you know, Josh Donaldson will show up in oh, his man bun again. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I, I have one last thing I want to throw out on the podcast is we don't, we don't review spirits or talk about spirits very much on this podcast. It's certainly been a while. Yeah. Uh, but when I was in the LCBO in December, I noticed they had a Nick Offerman edition Leg of Vulin 11-year. So Leg of Vulin 16 is sort of the standard for for Leg of Vulin. It's 100 and, like 140 bucks a bottle for the Leg of Vulin 16. Um, so... I'm always a little bit skeptical when I see celebrity endorsements, but I mean, it's a good distillery, good reputation, and the benchmark for PD, PD whiskey. Okay. Um, it's fantastic. And they, the see, box. I don't like the peat in. in and, and that's whiskey, fine. You're, that's, not gonna, you're not going to enjoy it, but it had a lot more balance than I was expecting because I find even the Legavul in 16 is just all you taste is peat smoke from start to finish. But you had a, you had a criticism about. I guess not the whiskey, which obviously you you loved. Yes, completely. so the, I, I actually bought two bottles. I finished one bottle with my father in law, and I wanted to keep it because everything about I just want to finish about this because I do bottle? want to get to the the criticism. No, it was a, a regular bottle, but the 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 packaging is all like there's there's text all over the box. There's text on the bottle, but if any of you have seen Nick Offerman as an actor, like his character Ron Swanson on Parks and Recreation. He also is one of the McDonald brothers in The Founder. Uh, but like he, he's got a way of talking, and it's impossible to read the box without picturing Nick Offerman reading it to you. All right. And it's just... How much was this bottle? 120. All right. Okay. Which is, which is not bad for good scotch. I realize it's a lot of money, but yeah. it's, if you're a fan of Nick Offerman or if you're a fan of Lego Woolen, it's definitely but you were, worth, you, worth you were, picking you up. You were shocked that the celebrity... Uh, well, I was Scotch, and I was I was first because you and I we have the monthly column for Toronto Life, yeah, and we write about spirits as well as wines yeah. with that, and it is really hard for us to keep track of what new spirits are coming out, yeah, and the thing is this was a very unique bottle, a very well crafted endorsement, 
Uh, if anyone has seen Parks and Recreation, Nick Offerman's character actually buys the Legavolin distillery in the show. So <laughs> it's something really funny and kind of exciting. But the LCBO said nothing about this coming out. I actually had some product consultants on my Twitter who follow me on Twitter be like, oh, wow. Like, where is that? When did that come out? And it's just like... Where'd you get that? And that's it. It's just like, it just feels like the sort of product you would want to bring some attention to, especially in a month where people are spending a little bit more money. And this is definitely a product targeted at millennials. So... Um, Drop the ball, I guess. Continually huh? frustrated at the way the LCBO rolls out its spirits, especially as a whiskey drinker. Uh, there's often bourbons that hit the shelf it's just like i really wish the lcbo would get their together uh on making it easier to find out when spirits are coming out the same way that we do with the classics catalog and the vintages catalog which should bring us to uh uh, doing another uh edition of mike tries whiskey (laughs) yeah you know i'm sure by now you have another you know fave five that you uh that you have i actually don't oh really uh but we it will it'll definitely happen again this year the the whiskey collection has been going slow, I think, just because of tariffs and, and whatnot. There yeah. hasn't been a lot of really new, exciting bourbons that have been rolling out at the at the LCBO, and I've been coveting the bottles that I have. Got it. All right. Well, well, we'll probably do that later in the year when you've got a we've got a little collection of your favorites, and uh, we'll see if you can turn me into a whiskey drinker yet. It's not going to happen, but at the very least, we'll get some great photos. That's true. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, once again, Patreon. You want to talk about it or should I talk about it? No, you you you're more up on that. You actually set up the page. I think the page looks great, so I people people should go to yeah. uh, Patreon.com/slash/two-guys-talking-wine. We've got some great photos on there, and uh, the support from Patreon just helps us cover the cost of the podcast. It's not terribly expensive for us, but any uh, assistance that you give us is greatly appreciated because we still need to pay for the hosting of this and pay for the websites and pay for keep the lights on and whatnot. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and you have to pay for a few things. Uh, anyways, I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. And it does not pay for Andre's whiskey habit. I it does not. It to, definitely does I not. I want to set that straight right now. And I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Let's end this the proper way this time. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.